Welcome to this week's message at Corner Bible Church. We're so glad that you could join us. If you'd like more information on our church, you could check us out at our website, cornerbiblechurch.com, or you can like or follow us on Facebook. Now here's this week's message. Thank you for listening. Good morning. How is everyone today? Good, good. I'm glad to hear that. My name is Pastor Davis. I am one of the teaching pastors here at Corner. And if you have your Bibles today, please open them up. We're going to jump right in this morning. Got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. Luke 12, 22 through 34. We'll spend a couple uh, moments reading together, a couple verses. I'll pray for us, and we're going to jump right in this morning. In this passage here, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And the text says, And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, and they neither have storehouse or barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Pray to God. Father, we want to thank you so much for your word this morning. God, I thank you that you are a God who can quelch our worries. You are a God who calls us to yourself. Father, I pray for any of us in here today that may be wrestling through some worries, maybe some even very serious things. Give us the ability to lay them at your feet today. Help us to hear you. Help us listen to the words you're already speaking. Help us to not leave this place unchanged. In your name we pray. Amen. So, worry and I have always had a very interesting relationship. For really, a lot of my life, I have wrestled with anxiety for a lot of different things. The earliest I can remember is uh, when I was about five years old, uh, I was very, very scared of the dark. Anyone scared of the dark? When you're growing up, I'm still scared of the dark, right? No, I was really scared of the dark. And I remember uh, we lived in Wayland at this time on a second-story apartment building, and I remember every night my dad would have to, like, convince me because I was terrified of the comic book character Sabretooth. And I was so convinced that that guy was going to pop through my window and he was going to eat me while I slept. And there was, no matter what my dad would say, he would tell me, first off, he'd tell me, first, Sabretooth doesn't exist. That's just a comic book character. Or two, that if he did exist, he was too busy fighting the X-Men to even worry about a five-year-old in Wayland. But no matter what he said, I was always terrified. Now, as I grew up, I was no longer afraid of Sabretooth, usually. My wife has to calm me down usually sometimes, but, uh, but I, I grew up fear about other things. Worried about my health, worried about what God is going to do next, where am I supposed to go, who am I supposed to marry, who am I supposed to, all these different things that I wrestled with, with anxiety. Any anxious people in the room that you wrestle with anxiety sometimes, okay? A few people are too afraid to raise their hand. That was an anxiety joke, okay. It's okay, I have it, so I can say it. But that's always been something that Satan has tried to use in my life to gain a foothold. Always has been something. 
And I know from my conversations with many people in our church or many people at other churches I've talked with or just seeing stuff on social media, I think a lot of us struggle with anxiety. I think a lot of us struggle with worry. In fact, something I want us to do this morning as we're starting off our time together is I want us to list some of the big things that we as people worry about. So what are some of those things that we worry about? Write them up here. No one judged my penmanship. People in first service did. So what's some stuff we worry about? Call them out. Children. Yes. And what will we add to that at the end? Money. Sickness. Yeah. Will I get better? Will my loved one get better? Yeah. What else? Why? I'll put spouses. How about that? That's a little too real. I'm just kidding. So totally kidding. What else? The world falling apart. Oh my goodness. There's too many balloons out there. <laughs> yes. That's a big one. What else? I, there was a little kid in the first service that said, School! <laughs> monsters. There we go. Yeah. The monsters are the bed. Yeah. Economy, oh my goodness, that's a huge one. Yeah, I didn't go to the, anybody go to the, the store and you're like, that's like a second mortgage and you get your groceries right now? Yeah, crazy, crazy. And I think if we were, we were honest and we looked at these things even more, we would find a, a ton more things to fill on this board because there's just a lot of things we're anxious about. A lot of things that make us nervous. And it's not just us. I'm sure if we went on the, took a microphone and everybody on the street, I'm sure they would come up with many of these things on this list too. In fact, in preparation for today, I did a lot of looking online of some surveys that have been taken over the past couple years. Since These are all since COVID. Um, and uh, there are some interesting things I learned from these surveys. I was expecting them, but I was still surprised, if that makes sense. Uh, here, one of the surveys I read, it was about finances actually, that 77% over three-quarters of America's population is worried about their finances right now, 77%. And then in that same study, 58% of Americans reported that feel, they feel like their finances control the entirety of their life, over 50%. Another study was 68% of parents uh, were concerned about their children's cognitive and physical development due to COVID lockdowns, 68%. And I've talked to a lot of teachers who talk about that too. 80%, this is another study, 80% of Americans in another study were stressed out about the stuff happening in the world right now, in our country right now, around everywhere right now. We as people are confronted by worry. And it might take different shapes for you. Maybe some of you in here aren't worried about money. Maybe you're worried about the, uh, about the world falling apart. Maybe you're worried about your children or you're about your spouses. But I think all of us at some point have to deal with this. And the fact of the matter is, it's not just us in this current time. Worry isn't new. In fact, it stretches all the way back to when Jesus was teaching on a hill to his disciples. We all struggle with worry. Take a look down to your text here. Look back to verse 22. Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, 
Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Jesus really starts out his message very, very bluntly. He says, do not be anxious about your life. Specifically, do not eat about the foods you put in your body. Uh, do not worry about the clothing you put on. And I think something very important we have to start with is when we read that, I think we have to look at the context Jesus is talking to. Because I think sometimes when we read a sentence like this, we get the wrong idea because of where, who we are as Americans. See, Jesus here is not saying, uh, that, talking about the comforts of life. He's not talking about you getting your Starbucks in the morning or, or your coffee in the morning or going to McDonald's or something like that. And he's not talking about whether you wear Gucci or not. Right? He's not talking about either of those things. In Jesus' context, food is scarce. A lot of times, people didn't even eat meat because they couldn't afford it. That's why Jesus in another passage says, I'm the bread of life. That's what they had. Food is scarce. People are poor. When Jesus says here, do not worry about your life, do not worry about what the food you are putting in or, or, or what clothing you're putting on, what he's talking about here is the basic necessities in order just to keep breathing. Don't worry about the basic necessities in order to keep breathing. He immediately follows up with a reason why. Look down at your text there. He says, there is more to life. There's more to life than food or clothes. He says, there is more to life than worrying about just scraping by. There's more to life than spending our time worrying about even these things we put on the board. Yes, he calls us a step into responsibility. If you are a parent in this room, you have a responsibility to parent your children, right? We would agree with that, right? We would say that. If you are a, 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 per, a, a parent, you have a responsibility to get a job to help provide for your family. You have a responsibility to take part of the community that we are in to make the world a better place. We are responsible to do these things. But Jesus is saying that we do not spend our time worrying about these things. Because at the very base of what he's asking us, he's asking us a core question. Our worry confronts us with a core question. And that question is, who are we trusting? Who are we relying on to provide these things? Jesus is saying, when it comes to parenting your children and making sure your children are safe, that they are raised up in the way they should go, while you do have responsibility, who is the one that provides that? When it comes to your finances, well, you do have a responsibility to jump in and, and serve and go out and make a living. Who's the one that's going to provide that? Who's the one that provides healing? Who's the one that uh, gets the monsters underneath the bed? Who's the one that helps with the economy? Who's the one that does this? Is it us? Are we trusting ourselves for this? Or is it from God? And what he does in this passage is he, rem he reminds people of the ravens. You remember Jesus is teaching outside and there's probably this flock of birds flying by. And he says, look up at those ravens. He says, you don't see them uh, running around wondering if they're going to be ravens or not. They're doing their raven things. They're pooping on cars. They're eating lots of food and vice versa over and over and over again. He says, God takes care of the ravens. 
I don't know if you've noticed, but there's no Costco for ravens. Right? They're not buying bulk bird seed and stashing it in cupboards for if God doesn't provide for them. God provides them as they have need. And what Jesus is saying here is, is if God takes care of the ravens, how much more value are you than a bird as a child of God? He asks us, who are we trusting in? I uh, got to experience a getting old rite of passage this week. Um, I threw my back out for the very first time. I heard that once you hit 30, everything falls apart, and I'm almost there. I hit a little early. But it was the most, when I hear the story, it was the most manly story for ever, ever throwing out your back. I have the worst injury stories. I uh, got out of bed in the morning, and I have long hair. My hair was in my face, and I went like this, whoosh, to pull, throw my hair out like a Fabio, you know? And, <laughs> And uh, totally threw out my back. Like something went out right here in my right in my neck, and boom, I was down. I pulled myself over to the couch, and I just pff, laid flat on my back right there, stared up at the ceiling fan. It was pretty awesome, but it was awful. Like it was totally awful. It was anybody throw your back out before? It's like a, is it, I had that blinding pain where you're just like, I can't even hold a rational thought right now. Anybody have that? Okay, That's where I was at, and I immediately viewed this as a giant interruption to my day. A giant interruption to my day. Any structure people in this room? I'm a structure person, down to the very hour of where I'm going to be, when and when I'm going to do it. It drives my wife crazy. I view this as a huge interruption to my day. Huge. You know what I did when I laid on the couch? I complained a lot. I complained a lot. And I started telling God all the stuff I needed to do. Anybody tell God what you need to do? Okay. He usually doesn't like that very much, right? I was telling God, I'm in school right now. I'm trying to get my master's right now. I, I'm doing this right now. I need to write a paper. I don't have time for this. I need to respond to a discussion post. I got to fill out this chart for school. I also am preaching on Sunday. I'm going to look really silly if I get up there and I'm just like, Go love Jesus. Have fun. You know, like, if I have absolutely nothing to say, I don't have time for this. And as I'm there and I'm laying out all of these complaints and all of these stuff of I, that I needed to do, I feel the stress rising up. Anybody who you can't accomplish what you need to do, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm getting so stressed. That was me. And it was in that moment, laying on my back, looking up at the ceiling fan, God reaches out and he's like, David, everything that needs to get done is going to get done. Everything that needs to get done is going to get done. Something hit me in that moment was as I was talking about all the things I was worried about, all the stuff or the scenarios that I was worried about that I wasn't able to do, I realized what I was doing was telling God what I couldn't do. I was telling God what I couldn't do. And what God's saying in that moment is he's saying, I'm your strong tower, David. I'm your defense. I'm your strength. I'm even your agenda, whether you like that or not. I am these things for you. And what's going to get done is going to get done. And I'll tell you what, this week wasn't easy. I literally wrote this entire sermon while I was laying on my back in bed with my laptop propped on my knees, like this, staring at the ceiling the whole week. Sermon prepping for me is a, something I take very seriously. Probably 15 to 20 hours of my week. 
Because there's going to be a day where I'm going to stand before God and account for all of this. This is not an MTX. This is not a TED Talk or a podcast, okay? This is, this is serious to me. And there was a lot of hours this week where I could not study. I couldn't hold a rational thought. So all I could do was sit there and pray. Think about this passage. God, what does it mean to think of the raven? What does it mean to not be anxious? And the thing that God continually brought me back as I prayed through this passage was, Davis, consider the ravens. If I'm taking care of them, how much more am I going to take care of a son of whom I treasure? Church, I speak that same word here. I know there's some scary things here. Maybe some of you are walking through some tough things with finances or a tough thing with children, or maybe a tough time in your marriage or sickness, or you're seeing everything that's falling apart, and you're like, what in the world? Because I'm taking care of it. You're not going to slip through my fingers. Have you? I said this during first service, but there's just some rides in the theme park of our lives we just want off of. But if you are a believer in Jesus, he says, do not worry. He commands us to not worry. Because at the very core of it, worry runs totally against the gospel. Totally against the gospel. The gospel says Jesus came from heaven to set you free from your sin. The gospel says uh, he, he came to reorient your life back to him. The gospel says that he came and he brings you into his family as a treasured son or daughter that he promises to take care of. And every time we worry, we are saying that we do not believe God is going to take care of us, that we have to take care of us. When we worry, we are saying we don't believe God is powerful enough to take care of us and that we have to become strong so we can take care of us. When we worry, we are saying that we believe God does not have our best interests at heart and that we have the best interest for our heart. See, what worry reveals about us oftentimes is it reveals the lies that we believe about God. It reveals the promises that we haven't quite trusted in yet. That what he, that's what he wants to change in us. The passage continues here. Down at verse 25. Jesus says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink or be after these things, for your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom. These things will be added to you. Jesus, again, is very blunt. He asked the question, how many of you by your worry can add a single hour to your life? And that question is rhetorical because obviously we can't. You are born to this world with a birth date and on your tombstone there's a day that you're going to die. And we can't change those things. Those things are predetermined. 
They are set. He says, your worry is not helping you. In fact, it's actually killing you. A lot of studies have shown that worry has a huge correlation between high blood pressure, heart disease, obesity, and even diabetes in some cases. The worry is hindering you. It doesn't change anything. In fact, he uses another nature metaphor here. He says, look at these lilies. Again, he's outside teaching on a hill. He says, look at these lilies that are covering this hill here. Look at all these things in the field. Look how God takes care of those things. They don't worry about whether they can be lilies or not. They don't worry about if the sun's going to shine and they're going to get the stuff they need to unfurl or anything like that. They just go and be lilies. And he says, if I take care of those things, which are so much more temporary, that are here today and tomorrow they're thrown in the fire, how much more am I going to take care of you? He says, just as I created the ravens to go out and fly and do all the stuff that ravens do, and I created the lilies to go out and be beautiful and and provide color to people's lives, he says, I created you to seek my kingdom. I created you to know me. I created you to pursue me, to walk in harmony with me. And he says, your worry prevents you from doing that. Your worry stops that. It runs contrary to what I want to do in you, so focus on what... I call you to. Focus on the kingdom that I am building. Focus on uh, the, the, the seeking of me and I will take care of the rest. He says, just as a loving father wouldn't abandon his children, I will never abandon you. Keep seeking me. I'll take care of the rest. Does this mean that nothing bad is ever going to happen? No. That's not what this text says. What it does say is that even if the worst thing happened, he will never leave you, he'll never forsake you. So rather than letting our anxieties and our worries control our thoughts and our patterns, we focus on God's promises. Yeah, I used to think that beating worry in my life was all about growing a thicker skin or being more courageous. I couldn't have been further from the truth. See, God's solution for beating worry in your life is not you trying harder. It's not acting all macho. It's not going and preparing for the worst things to happen. It's not even denial. The opposite of fear isn't courage. The opposite of fear is love. 1 John 4.18 says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear is the light in the midst of, uh, love is the light in the midst of the darkness that makes it scatter. In this passage that we just read together, the context is that we are able to stand righteous before a holy God because of God's love. We don't have to fear facing judgment because of God's love that he gave to us. But the same stretches to our worries. The same stretches to those things. And this love that he's talking about here is not a trite expression of Hollywood. He's talking about the never-ending, the evergreen, the perennial love of God that he has for you, not because of all the stuff you've done, not because of all the great things you're going to do or all the terrible things you did in the past or even right now, but the love that's centered in his character. The love he has for you that says there's no, no, no condemnation in Christ. 
The love that beckons you closer. The love that is powerful to forgive any sin. The love that beckons you to follow after him. The love that you can never be separated from. That's the love that casts out fear. And if you are a believer in this room this morning, that's the identity Christ has given you. Love son or daughter. Son, daughter. And that stretches even if the worst happens. Even if someone gets sick and they don't recover. Even if there's an issue in the marriage. Even if your children run away from the faith. Even if uh, it feels money is tight at the moment. It does not separate from you. In fact, there's this passage in Romans 8. One of my favorite chapters in all the entire Bible. But it sums up all these things. It says this. Paul's talking. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God and is indeed right now interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, if you can think of anything else, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, even in the darkest night. Even when your world falls apart. Even when everything falls away holding the shattered pieces of your world together. We don't have to worry because he's still just as much in control as he was yesterday. A hundred years ago. That's 2,000 years ago. I heard someone this week say, I don't believe in a God who can resolve all things, but I do believe in a God who can redeem all things. I'll tell you what, a God who can redeem something is so much better than a God who can just resolve something. A God who can make beauty come out of the ash. That's what he says. Jesus closes. You're not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what Jesus does here is he uses it as an opportunity to tell people to be generous. Living out of the fact that God is going to provide for us gives us the reality to be able to give to other people. Be generous to people around you. And this is not the prosperity gospel that says if you give someone something, God's going to give you ten grand in a Porsche in your front yard. That's not what it says. But it is saying that God is going to take care of you. You are able to be generous because God is already taking care of you. And I love this passage here because he is speaking to a group of people that are worldly poor, who literally don't have much 
who are probably hungry, some of which don't know where their next meal's coming from. And he says to them, sell your stuff, I'm taking care of you. Sell the stuff that make you feel safe, and I will and keep giving to those in need as I call you to. I'm going to take care of you. He says, don't make your treasures here. Make your treasure be the thing that's in heaven. Treasure of the kingdom that I'm building. Treasure what I want to do in you and what I want to do through you. Has anybody been uh, following what's been going on in Asbury this week? Anybody seen that at all on social media at all? It's pretty cool what God's doing over there. If you, uh, if you haven't seen it or, or don't know about it, but there's a school, a Christian school in Asbury, Kentucky, uh, where all the students went to chapel service, not much unlike what we do here. They uh, have a few songs, they have a sermon, and they go back to their classes. Well, they did that, and um, afterwards, about 50 students or so stayed, and they prayed. They were wrestling through some, st- some sin stuff, they were convicted, and they were, came up to get prayer, they were seeking accountability, they kept worshiping together, and pretty soon what happened over the next couple hours was most of the students all came back, and they filled the auditorium, and they started worshiping. They started coming forward to receive prayer. They started confessing sins to each other. They started uh, seeking accountability together. They haven't stopped. That was 10 days ago. It goes 24 hours a day. They're literally bringing cots in for people to sleep on when they get too tired. What's happened is these even other schools that are now seeing what God's doing there, and they're picking it up, and it's spreading. There's like 20, somebody told me the team there's about 20 universities right now that are doing this. And I think a lot of times we look at these moves of God that God does in people, and we're like, man, I wish God would do that in me. Man, I wish God would do that here. I wish God would, would do that in my life. The fact of the matter is, God wants to. God wants to. God's will in your life is for you to be like him. For you to be like him. But revival in us takes place when we take our eyes off of our kingdom we look at Christ's kingdom. In fact, John Piper once said, I am astonished at people who say they believe in God, but live as if their happiness is found by giving him 2% of their attention. That's a heavy one. I'm astonished that people who say they believe in God, but live as if their happiness is found by giving him 2% of their attention. Jesus once said the same thing in another way. He said, no man can serve two masters. You either hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and things. You can't serve God fill in the blank. You get to choose what kingdom you're going to seek this morning, and tomorrow, and the next day. You can choose to worry. You have that freedom. Or you can choose to live in the identity and the reality that God has built into you, that you are a child of God. No matter what happens, he's going to take care of you. In fact, I want everyone to close their eyes for a moment. I want us to ask a question in the quiet of our mind. I want you to think about the things that are stressing you out right now. What are the things in your life right now that are worrying you? Maybe it's something on the list we put together a few minutes ago. Maybe it's something that we didn't share. And I want to ask you a question about that thing. Is this problem or is this stressor 
more powerful than God. You think about that. Second question is, is this something in your life that God is taken surprised by? Did God look at it and go, oops, I didn't see that one coming? One final question. Are you willing to lay down that worry? Trust him for what he wants to do. You can open your eyes. There's, there's still plenty of things I'm afraid of. There is. I'm sure there are for you. The question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, will we trust him in our weakness? Be faithful. Will we choose to seek his kingdom? Trust that he's going to make something beautiful out of all of this stuff. Or will we follow our own way? Thank you for joining us for this week's message here at Corner Bible Church. If you would like more audio resources, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Or you can go online and visit us on our webpage at cornerbiblechurch.com.